Hello and welcome to School Growth Mastery, produced by Enroll Hand. We help schools, preschools, colleges and universities find their voice, connect with their ideal parents and grow their enrollment. We will bring on a diverse list of guests from school heads, admissions officers, marketing experts, parents and more, each with a unique insight into how you should grow your school in this changing landscape. Thank you for listening. Welcome to another episode of School Growth Mastery. My guest today is David Garden. David is an expert marketer with over 20 years of experience in the field. He actually has an MBA in marketing and is interested in strategy, service design and conversion rate optimization. Currently, he serves as group marketing manager for Australian Christian College, a group of nine schools located in five states around Australia. We're going to talk about the difference between the corporate world where David used to be in and the school marketing world. And we're going to dig into a number of tactics and strategies that you can adopt coming from the corporate world. Some highlights of what we talk about in this episode. David explains why schools must be in the selling the invisible mindset. This is a very powerful mindset, very powerful framework that you can use and we elaborate on it during this episode. David also talks about his writing and how that helps create impact in community. We talk about writing in general as a strategy for schools and then we also talk about creating short seasonal campaigns versus keeping marketing always on and it's very interesting to hear David's take on that this and a lot more in this episode so I hope you enjoy it here's David hi David and welcome to school growth mastery how are you going Andrew fine fine how's it there in uh, you're you're close to Sydney right south of uh, yeah. Sydney We've had a bit of rain in the last days, but it's just starting to fine up now. Perfect. Thanks for coming on. Um, Would you maybe want to say a couple of words about yourself, your history, and how you ended up as a school marketer? Um, So I come from a background in marketing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Prior to uh, having this role, I've been in the corporate world for 15 years, something like that. I've been in school marketing now. And uh, prior to here, I was involved in the property investment field. I uh, work for a national company in that field. And what made you make the jump to, to schools? Uh, I actually became uh, friends with the CEO of the company where I am now. Just in going for a run one morning, he, he'd heard me probably um, display my dissatisfaction where I was one too many times. And he said, well, we've got a role going at the company that I'm heading up. If you're interested, click me the job ad and went from there. It's very similar for me, actually. You know, it's, uh, I mean, schools have a very nice mix of being like a small business, if you're a marketer, but also it's so much nicer. People are better, nicer. You don't have all the, at least as much like politics and all the things that are going on in, in the business world. I'm, I'm sure in the finance world, it's not that great in terms of uh, office politics. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the egos. Yeah. People outside. School marketing, that the, and if they're in the corporate world, that um, schools are kind of partway between like the corporate world and what I imagine the public service to be like. So it's not, yeah. not so cutthroat, but uh, there's still an expectation, obviously, on getting results. Of course, yeah. You, you caught my attention, David, through your writing, I and mean, you write really well. You have, and I'm going to link the articles that, that are out on the, in the show notes. And the first article I read that really caught my attention was exactly on this topic. You were writing about uh, the difference between like the corporate world and the school marketing world and 
about what no one uh, tells you when you become a school marketer. Is am I am I reading the title right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's it. <laughs> so yeah. talk a little bit about that because I mean that's probably coming from personal experience, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every every word of it. Um, so I think that uh, and so I've noticed that there's a lot of corporate marketers joining the school marketing world at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of um, private schools have recognized the value now of school marketing. I think maybe five to 10 years ago, um, people who were similar to yourself, um, consultants and, and, you know, service providers to the school um, industry were trying to justify um, even marketing per se as a valuable thing within um, schools. But I think well and truly we've moved beyond that now. And so um, a lot of schools now are allocating budget to hiring their first ever head of marketing and yeah. those kind of roles. Yeah, and we're so, seeing that. You know, outsiders, so to speak, coming into the industry. Um, and it just made me reflect on all the things that struck me when I first came into school marketing as a, as a corporate marketer myself. And so I just um, started writing about those. Some were frustrating, some were kind of funny. Um, but, you know, I've got to say I enjoy the industry immensely. So, um, you know, there's certainly plenty of upside, I guess. There, there's a section in your, your like, post about your favorite things about marketing schools. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I really enjoy the, the people first and foremost. Um, it's, does, it tends to be an industry that's um, full of people who have, decided to not pursue um, great wealth for themselves and, uh, you know, don't, aren't interested in driving Ferraris and all that kind of thing. They're, they actually want to sow into the next generation, so to speak. So I'd say that the people are generally a bit more humble, uh, a bit more um, sacrificial, I guess. And, uh, yeah, so I just really enjoy talking with those sort of people. When you move, r- remove egos and all that kind of thing out of the equation it's amazing how much work you can actually get done yeah that's, that's crazy um, uh, and then you have a point and i think it's a fair point about a number of marketing strategies that are very much um, working in you know other sectors like uh, you you mentioned like very strong conversational copy highly conversational copy which you don't think work or you wouldn't use in a school setting. Are there, what are, what, what are the, some of those that come to mind? Like some of the stuff that you, you used to use as a marketer outside schools, but now you're like, no. Yeah. I, I think that part of that, but is probably the fact that uh, in a lot of schools, they want to practice what they preach. So they don't want to, you know, have in technically incorrectly structured sentences for the benefit of showing the public that, you know, we're actually going to be able to teach your children well <laughs> ourselves. So yeah. you can't kind of just run off on a tangent and think, you know, I'm going to um, use all these direct response copywriting techniques right. and my boss is going to be happy with it because, yeah, it's not really the way it works. <laughs> no, I, I know. And we have that debate a lot with some schools. And I think there's, I mean, what I find is you need to adapt everything. I mean, you can use some of the, a lot of the principles, most of them, but then you need to adapt them. Um, like we use, we've seen like in our ads, conversational copy works really well. It drives engagement, but it's, it's a very different type of conversational copy or storytelling than what we would do if we were selling something like a, a, a B2C product or something. Yeah, I think a, a lot of 
the appropriate way to approach it in school marketing, school marketing field is to, it's more like invite people to start to form a relationship with your school, find out more about us, um, because it's such a relational product that we actually offer, um, that that approach is better than a kind of a fast and hard sell kind of approach, which might be, you know, what you may have been used to as a marketer in the corporate world. Yeah. It doesn't tend to work in school marketing very well. Before we started, before we were like chatting, before we hit record, you, you were mentioning, I mean, right now you're thinking a lot about this specific topic. So, you know, the difference between selling an intangible and tangible product and tangible service like a school versus other types of product like, like toothpaste. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. So I think the two major things that come to mind is that schools in selling education sell just about the most intangible thing you can you can so um fellow i can't remember his name i think his first name was harry um wrote a book maybe back in the 90s called selling the invisible and uh and that is particularly relevant to school marketers because if people can't see or touch a product that you've got to offer then they look at clues um that are peripheral to the product but they're the only things that they can kind of see and, and get their head around. So mm-hmm. that's why I don't know if it's the same in the US, but certainly in Australia, um, if you want to grow a school, just invest $10 million into the most fabulous campus you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> you will grow a school because parents yeah. don't know how to validate the actual education itself. So they look to other things that they can um, see and, and think, well, the grounds are amazing, the facility is great, so therefore the teaching must be good. And how about we, we maybe, because I think that's, uh, that's maybe, uh, are there other clues? Because I fully agree with what you're saying here. What other clues could we promote as a school, which are maybe less, co- more cost effective than <laughs> building a new campus? I think that the idea of um, giving parents the opportunity to see a classroom in action is a good mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Um, if they can just stand at the door or up the back of the classroom and just observe for five or ten minutes what's going on, um, that helps to give them a bit of an insight into the type of school and the way that you um, deliver your, um, you, know, you know, your learning in the classroom, uh, the quality of the teacher. They can also obviously observe the physical setting of the classroom, what sort of furniture and technologies available to the students, that kind of thing as well. Yeah, um, I think signage is also. I mean, signage doesn't normally cost as much as, you know magnificent buildings and grounds so yeah if, if it you know is um well designed is well maintained um yeah also gives a clue into the operations of the school and i think you know just on on what you're saying like clues into the learning experience the teaching the quality of the teachers the quality of the administrative staff i mean you can also you can also um demonstrate that virtually so i see more and more of a trend of you know within limits of course of teaching in public of um so i was i was listening to a podcast uh the getting smart podcast i'll I'll put the link in the show notes together with the selling invisible book you mentioned where uh the the principle of uh thrive public schools it's a it's a network of schools in in um san diego we're saying that you know, she is talking a lot. She's blogging. She's appearing, and it's not—it's not because you know that's particularly what she likes doing. But she's just she feels it's part of her job 
to co-learn with other administrators and school leaders to kind of be in the public space, talk. But I think it also helps parents get these clues. Oh, you know, that she's the way she talks or the things she thinks about, like your, I mean, your, your blog is proof of that. The way you think you're like, ah, this school is probably high quality. I mean, they're thinking about these topics, which are interesting, which are relevant to my uh, child's learning experience. So, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think a, a thought leadership strategy is a good one. I think that that because, um, see, until I wrote those handful of articles on Medium, no one knew who I was or, you know, what knowledge I had or anything like that. Now, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, something special, but it's just like until you put things out into the world, no yeah. one knows whether or not you've got anything to offer or not. So I think it's exactly the same. A head of school who's writing articles in the local paper and, um, you know, speaking into some um, educational spaces. Um, yeah, it, it, I think it would be a worthwhile strategy. Sure. Yeah, and I, I think I think for some people, um, they might react to that saying, yeah, that's not my job. My job is teaching the or, you know, making sure the kids learn. But, I mean, nowadays, um, nowadays things are different. So your blog posts that you started writing connected us because that's how I, you know, I was searching about school marketing. I came across your posts. I thought they were very, very well written. So we connected and that's a valuable, you know, relationship we're learning. Hopefully people listen to listening to this or watching this are learning. So, you know, same, same thing can go if a head of school is writing or exposing their thoughts and work, they're creating connections in the community and hopefully increasing learning in the community in that process. So it's a double win, in fact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually connecting that thought to the, what I was saying about the impressive campuses. So everyone inside the education industry knows that the key to a good school is the quality of the teacher. Yeah. Yet it's very hard to sell, if you like, the quality of the teachers to a, a parent, a prospective parent. And that's the same claim that all principals are making. But um, through a thought leadership approach, you're actually demonstrating the expertise of the people in the school. So, it, um, yeah, I, I think it's a great way to sell the invisible knowledge that's captured you know, inside the head of the head of school or inside the head of the teachers or whoever it is doing that. What... What made you start uh, writing and blogging? What, 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 is there a story behind that? Is it something because that, 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 that uh, helped you decide to do that? Because it's a, it's a commitment to, to, to expose yourself, to get out there, start exposing your ideas to the world. It was only really because um, someone said to me, oh, wow, it's like you're an encyclopedia on school marketing when I was having a conversation with them explaining why I was doing a certain strategy. And I was like, oh. You know, I guess I, I don't particularly think I'm overly intelligent. It's just that when you're in the industry for quite a while, you just hear a lot of stuff, read a lot of stuff, see a lot of little videos like this one that you're producing. You yeah. pick up along the way. So the longer you're in it, the more you just accumulate this, this knowledge bank. And I thought, well, um, I could, and as I said to you, I noticed that there were a lot of outsiders coming in and I thought, well, I can help them out and, you know, hopefully they don't make, a few silly mistakes that I made when I first got in the industry, just by reading a couple of things that I say. And, um, you know, um, no, I, th I think that's great. And I would, you know, I think more people should do that. And like school heads, school administrators, even they are doing it. I mean, you see more and more teachers blogging, 
being on Twitter, on uh, Twitter chats, on you, you see it like it's a huge trend. But I think yeah, it's 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 beneficial also to school marketing exactly because of this concept of selling the invisible that you're that you're describing. Um, Actually, can I, um, circle back. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing there to say was um, to um, the intangible nature of education and the other thing was um the high high involvement purchase decision so Hmm. uh, schools are i don't know i think it's the same pretty much in all western countries that the decision on where you're going to send your child to school is maybe equal with maybe the house um and you could probably argue maybe above that decision for the house only above the decision for a car and things like that so it's a critical decision which is why um, in making it, parents will come to an open day, and yeah. if they've they've done it early enough, they might even come to two open days, two years in a row. And any of this, any of the parents at your school that they know, they will talk to them. They'll take them out for a coffee. They'll you know coffee. They'll grill them on what are the good things and the bad things about this school. They'll look at Google reviews online. They'll trawl your Facebook page. Um, they'll they'll go to a great a great extent to actually weigh up the the uh, quality of the education you're offering. So I think that it's also important to set expectations about, um, I mean, you and I have even been talking about the idea of campaigns um, versus always on marketing. Mm. Um, Campaigns are quickly becoming a thing of the past because parents are making these decisions over two, three, four, five years. So true. Campaigns all the time. Um, It's not matching with, the decision-making process of the parents. So. Exactly. You you wrote about, and that was a very interesting post, and I linked that in the show notes as well. You wrote about your experience with your wife, about how you chose your school. Do you want to kind of link that up with, with what, you're, what we're discussing right now? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, well, uh, so we did all of that research ourselves that I just mentioned. We looked online and we talked to friends that we knew at the different schools. So we were looking at three different schools. And then we decided, okay, we've kind of done all the external research that we can now. Um, we kind of know these schools are in our price range. Um, you know, they, they have the values that we want to see our children taught, et cetera, et cetera. So we narrowed down the list basically to three. And then we attended campus tours on, at each one of the three. And what was surprising to us is that we we kind of almost made the decision about one of the three, but then after we did the campus tours, we essentially chose the school that, you know, certainly wasn't top of the list anyway before we went on the campus tours. Uh, and that was just because of the the experience that we had at each one. And I guess also that some of the things that people had said were either confirmed or denied by our experience on the campus tours. Um so yes. talk, a, talk a little bit more about that. I mean, what was it that made you shift your decision when you, when you visited the school? Uh, well, it was actually the behaviour of the students combined with the way that the teachers were, I guess, running their classrooms and, uh, and all that kind of thing. So yeah. that, that was the biggest um, factor, I would say. Um, and, and so the one school that we went to and we thought we were, that was going to be the school um, a few people had said, oh, just be mindful. We feel like maybe the standards have slipped a bit. And, and we were like, oh, okay, well, you know, what are you talking about? Well, I'll address standards, but that's just a small tip of the iceberg to the fact that the students maybe aren't um, 
engaged in the learning as heavily as perhaps you'd want them to be, et cetera, et cetera. And then, yeah, we, we felt like that was confirmed when we went on the visit. Um, and that was when they were having an open day. So you'd expect that, I think you call it an open house, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, uh, you know, you th- expect that everything to be ship shape and everyone to be on their best behaviour. Uh, and then we went to the other um, school and it was just, we just randomly picked a day and organised to go on a campus tour. And yeah, it was it was almost the opposite to that. Um, all the students were engaged and, um, you know, the place was um, looking very uh, well ordered and, you know, um, good up, upkeep on the grounds, etc. I had two thoughts when I, you know, I was reading your post on this and, you know, during our conversation, number one, and this is something we see quite a bit as well. It's surprising how intermingled, how mixed the different uh, influences are when choosing a school. So you have, I mean, you mentioned online research. So you did your online research, websites, review sites, kind of, you collected all that. You had, Word of mouth, uh, friends, people telling you about different schools, either negative things, you know, the standards have slipped or positive things. And then you had your, the physical, like school tour, um, like all that kind of thing as well. And, and it's, it's, it's strange how, um, all those things, it's hard to untangle. They all play a role in the final decision making process. Yeah, I think that's, that was one thing. And the other thing, you know, as you're describing the school that you finally chose, uh, where, as you said, uh, the, the, the students were more engaged, uh, the teachers were more engaged. You, that, what's really nice in your article is that you use small micro moments. I mean, and I think those micro moments play a role, play an important role. So you said the odd student would glance at us peering in through the window smile and quickly return their focus to their work. So, you know, those are traits of, you know, an engaged student, um, a well-rounded student maybe that, that has, um, you know, can, can, can relate them to their environment. So they've been taught in a well-rounded way, but also they're focused on their work. And you, you mentioned uh, there was a quiet confidence about the place displayed by the staff, but also the students. Uh, so, so I think these micro moments, which are, Again, can can be you know on display when you visit, but you can also use on online in like videos, blogs, stuff like that. Those are super important as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think they link back to, to the intangible you mentioned, the clues. There, I mean, there are m- small clues. You know, the the students smiling, or you mentioned somewhere else. They, you know, in the corridor, someone said hello, very polite, but then moved on to their business. Those are m- minor clues which you use to judge the intangible, which you can't really judge as you would a toothpaste or a car or something tangible. Yeah, absolutely. I also think, and this is, I guess, knowing a bit more as a now probably an insider who does marketing um, in the industry, um, they're also an insight into the culture. So it's very difficult to get uh, a big team of, of teachers and, and non-teaching staff at a school to kind of do what you want them to do. If you're the head of school, trying to kind of boss everyone around so that they, you know, follow a kind of a regimented um, position description for their role and smile mm-hmm. when they're told and all that kind of thing is almost impossible uh, in today's world. But if you're the kind of leader that inspires people and, um, you know, really um, sows into your team, um, then you can create a culture where, People genuinely enjoy being there, both the students and the staff, and therefore 
those micro um, moments will just happen because um, people just, uh, you know, it's not, you're not putting it on for the sake of, you know, um, a visitor being at the school. It's just the way that the school is because of the great culture that's being developed. So if we take this concept and now, you know, our listeners are uh, all either school heads, school administrators, there might be marketing, admissions, enrollment, uh, advancement. Um, how, how, so they're listening to this, they, they're, they're understanding, they're agreeing that, um, you know, th- these micro moments, the mix of online, offline, on-site, all this stuff is important to sell the invisible, to send the intangible. How do they start? I mean, in your opinion, you've been doing this for a while. If if you were to give some practical tips to someone who doesn't really know where to start with all this, what would you think they should start doing, you know, next month and then maybe next year, just to give to to time horizons? Because you you were saying something about tactical and strategic marketing uh, before when we were talking. Yeah, well, I think the first, you, you, you want to start with the why, so you need to find out why was the school even founded to begin with um, mm-hmm. as much as you can. If it's a young school, then it's probably easy to find out. Um, and so that helps to just form a framework of the product, I guess, that you're offering to the marketplace. And then I would start by um, uh, running focus groups or even one-to-one interviews, depending on the size of the school, with parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll ask the if I was the marketing person, I'd ask the head of school to direct me to the parents, but I'd want to speak to some advocates and some people that are quite unhappy at the moment and find out, you know, what's um, you know, what's their perspective, what do they think the school's doing well, where could they improve, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I do a thorough situation analysis, mm-hmm. especially if I came in somewhere new because um, I think that that's, it's wise to just, first of all, let your feet hit the ground and assess what's going on before you make any radical changes and uh, what have you. Um, so that would be what I'd do to start with. A year down the track, I would hope that um, I would have tested a lot of um, concepts and started to get a feel for the types of things that work within that. So what I mean there is that um, I may have run, let's say I run a, a big public open house and mm-hmm. do some broad community advertising, et cetera, to get people along to it. I would trial that, but then I would also trial like a, a smaller, um, you know, half a dozen people being taken on a campus tour by the head of school or something like mm. that. Um, so I'd test different things out and start to get a feel for, um, you know, what's working, what's not. So that 12 months down the track, you could start to develop a marketing plan that actually had some, um, you know, that was likely to pay off, I guess. I think... That's very important. I mean, the concept of testing, like going in and saying, yeah, this works for some schools, this works for other schools. So I'm going to just steal that idea, start with that, test it, steal, then do that, then do this, and then find out what works. I think that's that's a very important concept. Um, yeah, marketing, uh, we don't have to take big risks anymore in marketing. So yeah. you can just take um, small risks all the time and just that's- keep monitoring monitoring, then revising your strategy as you go. That's so true. I, I completely believe that. And that's how we operate as well. I mean, no, yeah, you don't need to take any big risks. If you have a structured approach uh, and you learn from mistakes and you have like a growth mindset and you learn from mistakes, take a small risk, fail, and it's fine to fail. 
then you learn from that and move on. I think that's that's super important. Um, if I you 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 skipped over, I think uh, like you went through, and that's a very important part where you're you said why the school is founded, and and start with a why. So I think that relates a bit to value proposition, right? And you've thought and written about that. So why? I mean, why do you think it's so important to to focus on that at first to understand the why of of a school is founded or why it exists? Yeah, I think um, often it gives you an insight first in the first instance about what the market was that the original founders had in mind when they set the school up. Mm-hmm. That's not to necessarily say that then you're um, automatically locked into therefore only servicing that market, um, yeah. but give you an insight into the you know the original founders ideas and thoughts um and then you wanted to look at well what's the offering that we've now got what's the total offering look like as a school and then um because at some point you've got to make a price decision and in the consumer's mind whilst it's i'm going to simplify this because it's been proven to be extremely complex and not as easy as i'm going to make out um, but in the consumer's mind, it's sort of like weighing things up. Oh, there's this bundle of benefits here. Yeah. Now there's price attached to that bundle of benefits. Do I think that's worth it? And if I don't, then I think, well, the price is too much, so I'm going to walk away and find another school. But if I think the benefits are worth it and it tips the scale in that direction, well, then I say, okay, well, let's enroll. Yeah. Um, so you've got to have a, uh, I guess it's almost like an instinct at that point, knowing who your market is knowing the local context, what's the economy, what's the average wage, those kind of issues to ascertain, okay, you know, we've got these bundle of benefits and it's costing us X dollars per year to deliver them um, and then we've got a, a price decision to make. So that at a very simple level is the value proposition. Well, that's exactly right. And I think there's, there's two ad- additional concepts that fit into that. I mean, when you're thinking about the founding story and the why, uh, a lot in the, in the the corporate marketing world, there's the concept of the origin story. So a lot of companies they have their origin story, and it, it links into that. I mean, it's their why, and it then links into the bundle of 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 benefits that you mentioned. Because you know we are in a, and I'm not sure how the market is developing in, in Australia, but in the US at least we are in a an era where there's a lot of new schools, a lot of new learning experiences and value propositions coming onto the market. So you have to really be crystal clear about your why and about the, the bundle of benefits that you're offering the market. And if they're willing to pay the price point for those benefits, otherwise you need to rebundle or find more benefits to get the point where they're willing to pay that. Um, and, and that's, I mean, you know, the paying tuition, that's for independent private schools but it goes it's not that that different for public schools i mean it's again a very important uh decision you mentioned before like a very high decision like even more important than buying a house even if it's a free education because it's the future of your children that's at stake uh so yeah so i think it's i mean finding your why Find aligning that to something that the market wants, or that at least a significant chunk of the market wants. I think I fully agree that that's where you should start because then that's where you can do marketing that drives results. Because just getting the word out to more parents that's easy, but 
you're just creating noise if it's not about something that you believe in on a stand you're making or a particular kind of future that you're hoping to provide their children. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah great. I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll also link to the, the post you have on value proposition. I think it's extremely interesting because you're listing a number of, uh, you call them performance predictors, um, like, and you're saying like academic results, um, uh, signage, you mentioned signage before, teacher qualification, testimonials, um, a lot of things that, I, you know, I think, um, and you have an example you know, it also helps helps when when our listeners are thinking about where to start. Um, I have one final question, and then um, you know we can wrap it up. And you know, uh, you know, you can think of anything else. You, if there's something you want to say in conclusion, and then we can wrap it up. One question I like asking is: Do you see any? You can call it bad advice or or ineffective advice. Um, or ineffective um, mindsets of school marketers going around that you would like to say, hey, guys, girls, this is not how you should be thinking or, you know, help them think in a different way. If, if, is there anything like that, that that you would like to see uh, change in the school marketing world? Um, it's, it, I mean, it's a, it's a good, good space to play in. Uh, other people are generally positive people and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, maybe just um, the only one that, that comes to mind is maybe recognising that um, you don't have to do something um, just because there's almost an expectation that that something will be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an example, I don't know if you if it's a big deal in, in the US, but in Australia the idea of a yearbook, do you have that yeah. yearbook? Yeah, yearbook. We some people got the viewbook and yearbooks. Yeah. So in Australia, typically in a private school, a yearbook is published at the end of every year, mm-hmm. and it takes a huge amount of work. And it's a real like point of contention amongst all the staff to get, you know, this edition of the yearbook out on time so that the graduating year twelve can get their copy of it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but um, we we don't do them um, because. It's just a massive amount of work and if, if it's, it's typically assigned to the marketing team and the marketing budget. And so yeah. if it's assigned to the marketing team and the marketing budget, then the marketing director should be able to make the decision on whether or not that thing happens or doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I recognise the fact that it's a nice memento for the year 12s, but could all that time and effort from a marketing perspective be invested somewhere else and get a better outcome for the school? Yeah, and if you if you break it down, I mean, what is included in the yearbook are like photos and mementos and information about the, the, the year that has been that has passed, and it does create some excitement, some word of mouth, some sharing because maybe you know a student will share the fact that you know here's the play I did or here's you know the moment where I won this you know this. Uh, uh, in this contest or whatever, but but if you think of it of it, that kind of experience that you're trying to create, packaging it in a yearbook is quite ineffective because it's a, a big batch of work. It's in a print heavy book or not so heavy, whatever. Uh, so usually people will look at it for a while and then like just put it in their bookcase somewhere. 
Whereas if you do that same kind of work, which is what you're doing in marketing, so highlighting um, school moments uh, of you know students uh, celebrating learning, celebrating you know character wins, different values that are important for your school, but you do that on an ongoing basis in your in your ads, in your signage, in your whatever. Uh, and your thought leadership, it goes back to the clues and the intangible. It's a much more efficient way to do it. And it's available year round. It goes back to what you're saying that now, you know, marketing campaigns are not that are, are losing steam and like ongoing marketing is the way to go. I think it's the same. You could think of a yearbook as a marketing campaign, you know, in a, at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And I, even in Australia, um, there's debate amongst the school marketers about whether or not newsletters are still effective because essentially yeah. what you do is you bundle up everything that's happened at the end of the month and then you release it. But mm. the reality because of social media these days, the vast majority of your engaged parents have already heard all of that news. So the yeah. newsletter is old news, not, not the news that it used to be um, five years ago where it was like the parents were anticipating the delivery of the newsletter so they could find out what's been going on. Yeah, and there's, there's this whole debate there about, you know, now we're – there's a debate called, and I link an article to that and show notes, containers versus streams. And in the past, everything used to be in a container. That's a newsletter or a yearbook. You know, here's a package, take it, consume it. Where now, now most people, they prefer to be in streams. So that's a Facebook feed. That's, you know, different feeds of information. So, and they, they prefer to consume information in smaller doses. So it's better not to wait to put it in the newsletter, just send it out, publish it. And then when you have the next piece of information, publish that as well. And it will reach some parents. It won't reach everyone, but newsletters don't reach everyone either. No, no I think the, uh, the stats in the U.S. seems to be the same as Australia. It's about yeah. 20%. Yeah. 20% yeah. parents are reading your newsletter, so 80%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. We've seen a, quite a few... Um, Quite a few schools, well, it's still not that many, but a few schools uh, switch communication with parents from email newsletters to groups, could be a Facebook group, other types of communities, uh, Telegram or that, or like Remind is a very popular app in the US. Um, You know, more of a community feel like than a a newsletter, which is more of a one-way communication. And then when you have the information like about the upcoming event or, you know, snow day, you, you share it in the community instead of in the newsletter. I like that idea. Yeah. Cool. As a wrap up, is there anything you wanted to, to share or any thoughts you have? I don't know. It could be anything about your next article, about what you're doing, what you're currently thinking of or doing at school, anything you want uh, the listeners, which are marketers and school ad administrators like yourself to know, like anything at all, like as a final message before we wrap up? Um, I, I would say that I'll give everyone an insight into what next year is going to be. I'm going to switch all of our marketing to always on marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the moment, um, myself and my colleague um, and a couple of guys in the team are discussing what are the things that we know will work in that um, scenario and what are the things that we need to discard and stop doing. And, uh, yeah, what, then allocating budgets to each one of the schools to ensure that their marketing is always on. Because we, we have fallen into the tendency um, of um, short bursts and more reaction to things. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you find out from 
one of our heads of school that their enrolments for a certain year level are looking, you know, low for next year. And mm-hmm. so then you run a short first campaign and you do get a little bit of a result from it, but yeah, you kind of think, well, it would have been good to just be constantly um, filling up the funnel as it was mm-hmm. um, long term uh, instead of just sort of reacting quickly um, to a short term need. Yeah. No, that's a very important concept. Great, great. Well, uh, thank you, David. Um, so uh, we'll wrap this up now. I'll, I'll include in the show notes, uh, you know, the best place to find you. I know it's your blog on Medium. Where I'll include the website, the school website. Um, and, you know, you tell me if there's any, anything else I should include there. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to School Growth Mastery, brought to you by Enroll Hunt. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe to our show and share this episode with your fellow educators. You can support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. That way more school leaders like you will find us. If you want to learn more about school growth, visit our website at enrollhand.com and please do check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, goodbye for now.